Hey guys, welcome to our Sermon of the Week podcast. Today's message is from Caleb Kinsley. If you're interested in partnering with us, check out our app, our website for ways to give. I always love the greeting time because you just feel the, the room come alive. It's already been alive. Worship's been incredible. Can we give it up for our worship team? I'm so stoked because so much of what they sang, every song pretty much correlates with what I'm getting ready to talk about, but also just, you could just feel what God was doing in the room based on the things that we were singing. And sometimes we can think, oh, well, they planned that and it's all woven in together. But I had this message weeks ago and they're making their uh, set list throughout the weeks. And so it's just amazing how God knits it all. And it's amazing how things come together. So real quick, before I jump in, I wanted to give a, just a few uh, little highlights. I want to give some context. I'm not going to give any detail. Um, if you were at home and the live stream was cut, uh, we have missionaries throughout the world and the places that they are in, uh, it is not always safe for details to get out online. So if you saw that screen or if you were at home and the, the, the feed cut, it's because we're trying to be protective of the people that we love that we're sending out across the world. And so we, we don't want to put them in danger. We don't want to do anything that would uh, endanger their mission. And so that's why that happened. Uh, also, um, all right, so making a huge switch from that. Uh, who was a part of helping put the daddy-daughter dance together? Can you just throw your hand up? Any of the ladies, any of the men that helped, like, set up and tear down? Can you guys actually stand up? I see Leanne. Yeah, Anna, Chris. So, as a dad, to be able to come in here and, I mean, the, the shrills and the screams is one thing, but to see my daughter for weeks be so excited about this event, but then also as a dad, just for me to be able to spend time with her and the atmosphere you guys created, I just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. I know every other dad was blessed as well. Um, two more things. One, we have a cello on stage. Can we please thank God for a cello? <laughs> All the musicians went, yes, God. Um, wherever Abby is, great job. Uh, you have to play every week now. So, um, And then also, uh, where's Carrie? Uh, Carrie Brillhart, right? I always want to say frizz, and it's not. Um, Carrie, how far along are you? 38 weeks pregnant, drumming last week, playing guitar and singing this week. That just, that just proves her servant's heart. But more than that, um, I just love, I, I always forget to tell you these things. I love you when you play drums. I love when you lead. Like you have such a worshiper's heart. And the way that you do that through serving in any aspect in our church, but just when you are serving, I get blessed. So I just wanted, to, I wanted you to know just how important, how purposeful you are and how wonderful you are for this church and for this community. Sweet. All righty. Uh, got one more person we got to thank. Uh, last week, Chris Dupre did a killer job on his sermon. Can we love on him real quick? I love you. Uh, he, he and I talked about three weeks ago, and I was asking questions. I'm going to talk about the secret place today. Um, it's a, 
It's a vague term for some people in church. It's a very specific term. It's an unknown term. So Chris and I got together and I said, hey, walk me through like what I should cover, what I should talk about. And he goes, dude, this is wild. Next week I'm preaching on the Tabernacle of David. And these, these, again, things intertwine, not because we got together in a room and we thought, what can we do to be effective communicators of the gospel? Like, and that's beautiful. And there are times to do that. But this is one of those things where I came and all of a sudden he's going, oh my gosh, this is awesome. Because everything he talked about last week butts right into what I'm going to talk about this week. And there's purpose for it. It means that God is intentionally wooing our hearts and he's showing us how much access we have with him. And so last week, I thought he absolutely crushed it. And so this week, we have to kind of understand, I'm going to piggyback off of what he talked about. So we have access. But there's a lot of us who don't understand what that access means. And there's a lot of us that question the access. And majority of the time, it's because we think that there's still something in between me and God. There's all kinds of verses throughout scripture that give people reason to believe that there's still something between them and God. And yet most of them are, I, like his face has been hidden from me, not my face hidden from him. But we take the his face hidden from me and go, see, God can't see me. And we take it and we just say, oh man, like, see, if I do anything wrong, going back to the perfection thing that Payne talked about, we think that we have to live in this perfection in order to gain access to God. Christ was perfect, and he granted us access. But it's hard for us to partner with. It's hard for us to kind of grab. And so if you look at it, the tabernacle of David happened thousands of years before Christ shows up. Acts, this is what Dupre talked about last week, he wants to reinstate the tabernacle of David. So one thing you need to know if you weren't here, David brings the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem into a new tent with no Holy of Holies. Meanwhile, Moses' tabernacle is in Gibeon, another town away. Maybe a couple towns, don't quote me on that. And so it's at, at the place of sacrifice, the bronze altar, all of the religious stuff is still over there. And yet there's a relational tabernacle going up in Jerusalem. Why does God want to reinstitute that and how does he reinstitute that? Now, the truth is, I love like the, we're a relational people and we have to have a relationship with God, not religion. There are some beautiful things that religion actually shows us and how to have better relationship. So there's like a pendulum swing that we were super religious and then like somewhere through like the 80s, 90s and early thousands, we swung this way for a relationship. I do feel the swing back somewhere in the middle that we're gonna kind of keep swaying back and forth a little bit until we can kind of get back on center between what does it mean to religiously be in love with God? Not just for the action of it, but for the heart of it. So Moses' tabernacle, Moses, here's the deal guys. It says in, I think it's Exodus 19, somewhere between there, 21, that Moses and Aaron and Joshua were up on the mountain. The elders were here. The people were down at the bottom of the mountain. And the people saw the feet of God descend onto Sinai. And it says that underneath his feet were something like a sea of glass. So God didn't just get up from his throne and walk down to Sinai. He brought heaven down. 
So when Jesus says on earth as it is in heaven, it's already been a reality for thousands of years. So Moses saw heaven and God says, make the tabernacle in the way that I showed you. Not just told you, showed you. So that means that Moses saw heaven and he did the best job he possibly could to make what he saw. And yet, Jesus comes and says, we gotta go one step, one step further. And this is where I've gotta go here before I can get into the dwelling place, before I can get into the secret place. How many of you have heard that God can't look at you because of your sin? Raise your hand. A few people. How many of you believe that because of your sin, God can't look at you? Raise your hand. Good. We're way further along than I thought we would be. I'm still going to preach it. So, Matthew 27, verse 46 is a very infamous line that gets taken out of context in Scripture over and over and over again. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I kind of have to go into this story because there's so much richness. I don't even have time to do all of it, but there's so much rich, richness in it that we have to begin to understand in order to be free to enter into the secret place. So, Jesus is on the cross. I believe verse 45. Let's go ahead and pull that up. Matthew 27, verse 45. From now, the sixth hour, darkness fell upon all the land until the ninth hour. 46. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We're going to come back to Matthew. I thought this for the longest time. My pastor down in Mississippi, Johnny Buckner, enlightened me to the revelation of what 46 really means. There's a song, How Deep the Father's Love for Us. The Father turned his face away. We all think it says that. The Bible never says that. A song said it, so it became our theology. That's why we've got to be careful, not necessarily, and, and hear my heart on this, we've got to be careful on what we are saying in worship. It doesn't, it doesn't rob me to be able to worship God with that song, but there are certain things that we assume rather than asking God what he has to say about certain things. And so this is, this is one of those verses that it, it tears at my heart because I, hear, I have this conversation all the time that, well, then why did, why did Jesus say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It sounds like he's saying, why have you turned your back on me? We're going to go to Psalm 22, verse 1. Go ahead and pull that one up. This is Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Here's the deal. Before we go a step further, there is nothing that Jesus did that did not fulfill what the covenant, old covenant had told, what the old covenant had said. So all of us believe, oh yeah, I mean like Jesus paid for my sin, so like, yeah, 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 like now he can look at me, but if I sin again, he can't look at me. Jesus became the propitiation, he became the, the payment for sin. So on the cross, number one, he is opened physically. He's pierced. He's being mocked. He's been spit on. All these crazy things are happening to him. And so I could probably understand why the theology that, my God, my God, why have you looked away from me, exists. Because all of us would feel the separation. 
But how do you separate God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit from each other? Number one. Number two, Jesus fulfilled the old covenant. Go back to Psalm 22. Verse one. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The second he said it, he didn't have to finish the psalm, the prayer, the song of David. He says it. Every Pharisee with an earshot goes, oh, my gosh, we missed it. He's quoting scripture while he is opened on the cross. He's quoting scripture while he's in the most painful place paying for our, our sins, paying for our life. God so loved the world that he sent his only son, not God so hated sin that he sent his only son. He's willing to pay for anything that would put any kind of barrier between the two of us. And yet we look at this, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So then go to verse six and eight, or six, uh, go to verse six and we'll kind of read through a few of these. Psalm 22 is a prophetic picture of what David saw in the heavenlies, by having this tabernacle of David, having this open access to heaven, one day he is singing. And I'm so grateful that David had his tabernacle established this way. He had singers and worshipers, he had gatekeepers, and he had recorders. There's some of you that just, you stand kind of stoic and worship, but you're taking it all in and you're remembering everything that happened. You're probably a recorder. You probably need to start writing down the things that are happening. And you might need to start sharing them with some people. Because if we didn't have somebody recording what David was in, my guess is that he was lost in worship. And if someone doesn't write it down, if someone doesn't capture it, we don't have it to share with the next generation. So we have to have our recorders. We have to have our gatekeepers. That They are the people who are interceding. They're the ones who are keeping the, the, the tent flaps protected from intimate moments and then opening it up for people to be able to come in at the appropriate time. That's an important position. Worshippers... Dupre did an amazing time last week explaining the, the style of worship that would happen over the ark all day, every day. So we get to Psalm 22. Verse 1, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Verse 6, but I am a worm and not a man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. Verse 7, all who see me sneer at me. They separate, or they separate with the lip and they wag their heads saying, verse 8, roll, he can... Uh, he committed, commit yourself to the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him because he delights in him. Remember when the Roman soldiers were saying, call your God, have him come rescue you. People probably, you could probably make an excuse for like, okay, if someone probably said this about David. Verse 14, we'll read 14 through 18. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. Anybody knows anything about the crucifixion? You know what that means. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. Verse 15. My strength is dried up like a pot shirt, and my tongue cleaves to my jaws, and you lay me in the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. A band of evildoers have encompassed me. They pierced my hands and feet. When was David's hands and feet pierced? Never. Why is he writing it? Why is he singing it? Why is this on his heart? Because he is seeing something in the heavenly realm that he is capturing in a physical reality and sharing it with generation after generation after generation. I can count all my bones. Why does that matter? Because at the end of the crucifixion, when they broke the two uh, thieves' legs to, see, to make sure that they could expedite their death, they went to Jesus and they, they saw that he was probably dead. So instead of breaking his legs, they stabbed him in the side with a spear. They look and they stare at me, verse 18. 
They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Why was the crucifixion so oddly specific? Read Matthew 27. They cast lots for my garments. David is accessing something that Christ is going through, and Christ is retelling it while hanging on the cross. Let's go to verse 23 and 24. This is where it all hits home. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you descendants of Israel, verse 24, for he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried to him for help, he heard. I'm gonna to try to do this as fast as I possibly can. Matthew 27, darkness falls on the earth. All of, I have been taught, I have heard, that that was because sin was reigning on the earth for the hours that Jesus was on the cross. Sin is not that powerful. Sin doesn't have the chance to like, it does lay lurking for you, but it lurks. It has no power to block out the sun. When's another time in scripture that the sun was blocked out? Oh yeah, in Israel, or sorry, in Egypt, the ninth plague, God blotted out the, the sun. There was absolute darkness. Not sin, not evil, not Pharaoh, not all of their gods in Egypt. God was able to make it that they could not see their hands in front of their face. So then we see that at the sixth hour, it becomes totally dark over the earth. We can call this conjecture at best. I believe in the same way when my children are hurt, and it, like, it draws part of me, my heart to them, that I bow down in order to pick them up, to hold them, to kiss them, to, you know, if there's blood, clean it up, whatever. I believe that while Christ is on the cross in agony, the father didn't turn his face. He did not look away. He did not turn his face from him, but heard him when he cried. I believe that the father goes between heaven and earth and literally between the sun and the earth and comes so close to the sun to hold him so close to his heart and say, it's almost done. It's almost over. I know, I know, I know. Without getting into too many of the details, I had a moment like this for extenuating circumstances. When we adopted our children, we had to spend a day at the hospital getting some x-rays a few weeks after we picked them up and to take a little baby who possibly, and I don't think he ever did have a broken arm, but for him to possibly have something that could be broken, you have to stretch his arms out and there's this light above him and it's actually in the shape, there's like, a, there's like the T across it, that there's only a cross over his heart for them to be able to take these x-rays. But I'm pulling his arms out because he doesn't want to, he wants to stay, he's cold, he's naked, it's freezing in the room. And I'm having to pull Zion's hands out so that they can take x-rays of him. He's in agony. I'm trying to be super gentle because I don't want to do anything to his arms, but then we have to actually put both of his arms out and he is, I'm bawling. And this picture comes to mind and I'm sitting there saying, it's okay, buddy. I'm right here. I'm not trying to hurt you. I love you. I love you. It's okay. It's okay. And he's being stretched out. Christ is being stretched out. The father comes close. And some of you are like, okay, 
maybe the father comes close, but I mean, like, sin, he had to die for sin. Yes, because we thought it separated us from God. If sin separated God from us, he couldn't talk to Moses, who was a murderer. He couldn't talk to David, who's an adulterer and a premeditated uh, murderer as well. Like, every story in the Bible is filled with people who did not deserve to hear from God, and yet they did. But then you look at the rest of Matthew 27. I'm not going to pull it up. But Matthew 27, darkness falls. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then, I believe it's in 27, into your hands I commit my spirit. How can he talk to somebody that turned his face away from him? Then the veil, not from the bottom to top, that could have been men trying to pull it apart. From the top to the bottom, the veil is torn. Who tore it? Sin? Again, sin's not that strong. Who tore it? Probably the one who is holding his son. Probably the one who has entered into his sphere. And the second that he offers up his life, I believe that the father and the son grabbed both sides of the top of that veil and ripped it. Why does the tabernacle of David have to be reinstituted? Because David tapped into something in the Old Testament that was a New Testament reality. That is what's happening in heaven. There's no more sacrifice in heaven other than Christ, the perpetual sacrifice in heaven. But in heaven, there's 24 hours a day, seven days a week, worship and praise. Moses' tabernacle is beautiful. It saw a piece of the heavenlies. But David tapped into the reality that through Christ, the lamb who's slain from the foundations of the earth, that we all have access to fall on our faces before the King of kings and the Lord of lords and to give him worship. So let's say you're saved. We all feel pretty good right now. We go home and we do that thing that we said we would never do again. We all think, oh, I have to repent. I gotta go to church next Sunday. If the worship song's not right, I won't get right with Jesus. And we all have these little games and these little hoops and all these religious practices that we think we have to tick the box for in order to get back into good standing with God. None of that is real. That's the lie. Shame tries to imprison you to keep you from believing you have access. But Christ paid for all sin. In Hebrews, it says that he is seated at the right hand of the Father on the issue of sin. So if Jesus is seated on it and he's not pacing around heaven going, oh my gosh, what do we do? They did it again. Do I have to, do I have to go back down? Do I, need to, do I need to pay for it again? I mean, I could do it really quick this time with social media. Whoo, it would be out there. Like every miracle, we could feed millions. Amazon drones could be dropping off bread and juice for people. I mean, we can just give a communion all day. Like, Jesus isn't up there freaking out, people. But we think he's up there wringing his hands. Oh, no, he sinned again. Well, guess he's going to have to go to hell for that one. What? He's seated on the issue of sin. What sends us to hell then? Not receiving the free gift of eternal life. It's a choice done. I love, if you watch The Chosen, some people don't agree with it. I love it. This is not a plug because I'm friends with them or anything like that. I just happen to love the TV series. It's amazing. There's an episode where he's talking to Mary Magdalene, and she goes, oh, well, 
I just, I spit on the grace that you gave me. He goes, man, how cheap would it be if you could get rid of it that easily? I was like, oh, like I cried that from about nine o'clock to one in the morning. I just like laid on my couch, just like in the fetal position going, <laughs> just crying. We think Christ's sacrifice was so cheap that we can outdo it by the sins that we've experienced or the sins that we've committed or the sins that we're going to commit. We can't. Past, present, future, paid. Now, that doesn't give me the right to do whatever I want to, but it gives me access. It gives me access. So the things we have to realize, the Lord was close to Jesus. They ripped the veil and the father received the son. Here's the deal. If shame renders its head in your life again and you think you don't have access, ask the father to rip the veil. Let's do that real quick. Everybody, let's just close your eyes if you feel comfortable. What's that thing that happened this week that you're thinking about right now? Maybe it's not this week, maybe it was a month, a year, maybe it's been a lifetime that you feel like it's separating you from God. He's still here. You can text him and get access, maybe FaceTime him, but you cannot see him face to face. I want you to ask the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit to rip it right now. Holy Spirit, for every person here that struggles with even asking you for help, whether it was a father or a mother that made it impossible for them to be able to have access, whether it's just a lie that they've learned from church or from a not enough Bible, whatever it is, rip that shame right down the middle and show us who you really are. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Everybody take a deep, old breath. Let it go. Let it go. So why is all this important? The Father wants us to dwell with him. If I think that anything is in between me and him, it, it destroys me. I was sick a couple weeks ago. I was laid up in bed. And my son kept trying to come in because he just wanted to cuddle with me. But I'm like, dude, you don't want this. But every time I had to tell him no, he couldn't climb into bed with me, he would cry. And I'm like, okay, I'll get up. You know, like, I just want, I, I don't want to see my son cry. All I want to do is just have them climb up into bed with me and just cuddle with me. There's, like, that is how the father is with us. When we are broken, when we are hurt, if we sinned. If we did anything that we think separates us, he's up there saying, come on, tell me about it. What hurts? Sometimes my kids get little boo-boos that don't even hurt, but like they just hit the table when they're running by it and, oh, and I kiss it and then they go off and run. Other times Zion will just up smack Lelou in the head and then go, I didn't do it. I'm like, sitter. No, I'm just kidding. In my mind, I say that. I don't say that out loud. Because then he would look at me every day and go, sitter. <laughs> but I looked at him and I'm like, oh, 
to discipline or to walk him through it. Hey, man, you're not going to get in trouble. The second I say that, I hit, I hit her. It was me. <laughs> I'm like, ooh, that was, that was quick repentance. Now, we still discipline our kids, timeouts. We've, we've played with spanking some, and we're kind of trying to walk away from it. A lot of the older generations, like this soft snowflake generation, geez. <laughs> depending on the severity of the issue, depending on what happens, there, will, there, is, there is discipline. Has to be. If you live in a world where you don't discipline your child, that is what the verse when it says, spare the rod, spoil the child. We, as Americans, think, oh, well, I'm going to spoil my child if I just buy them everything they want. That's not the word spoiled there. The word spoiled there means like to like, in, like have an infection and die. For it to be spoiled, to have spoiled milk that smells bad, to have a, we have a spoiled orange on our counter right now, like mold, mold it's more mold than orange. We need to throw it away. Can we do that? Can we do that today? That'd be great. I need to throw it away. It's not her fault. I'm not saying that. Jesus, forgive me for my sin. And Jesus, please give my wife mercy and grace like you give me. Amen. But we have things. That's the word spoiled. So when you spare the rod, spoil the child. When you spare the rod of not even discipline, the rod for shepherding has nothing to do with beating the sheep. It has for protecting the sheep. And when the sheep come in and the shepherd is counting the sheep, he knows his sheep so well that he can take the rod, place it on their back as they walk by. And if they slide their right hip out, he goes, oh, check this one. It's a measurement. It's not a tool for beating. So for those of you who think we have to Use the rod to discipline our kids. Actually, you got to use the rod to keep your kid from being spoiled in his spirit, thinking that they're entitled to get whatever they want. Or the fear that if they do anything wrong, they're going to get you, but not the loving you. The reason I had to go to Psalm 22 today is because we all have this version of God that if we mess up, we can't come to him because of how our fathers and our mothers have treated us, because of how coaches have treated us, because of how pastors have treated us. You have one chance. You mess it up, done, cut, see ya. The father doesn't do that. Over and over again, there's grace. Over and over again. Peter was an idiot in the Bible. And yet the Holy Spirit still falls on him and 3,000 people get saved his first sermon. And he still messes up later. There's no such thing as perfection. And yet, Jesus gives us access, and these guys understood what it meant to dwell with, with Jesus. Because shepherding, a shepherd sits on a hill, and his sheep just sit around him and eat. There's a dwelling. God is a shepherd. If you don't understand what that means, get into the Bible, go to Google, type some things up, find some things out. Let's go to Psalm 27. This is actually the chapter that we got uh, our ministry, Land of the Living, from. But this is a chapter my grandfather and I have talked about for years, and I didn't recognize how beautiful it was. Psalm 27, verse 4 through 8. One thing I have asked for from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the delightfulness, the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire. Or, that doesn't make, that's, is he speaking in tongues in this translation? What is happening? And to inquire in his temple. Verse uh, 5, 
For in the day of trouble, he will conceal me in his tabernacle. In the secret place of his tent, he will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock. Verse 6. And now my head will be lifted up above my enemies around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. And I will sing. Yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Verse 7. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice and be gracious to me and answer me. Verse 8. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, O Lord, I shall seek. Let's do uh, Psalm 81, verse 7. You called in in trouble and I rescued you. I answered you in the hiding place of thunder. New King James says in the secret place of thunder. And I proved and I, and I proved you at the waters of Maria, or Meribah. Sorry, I don't speak tongues anyway. Um, Psalm 91.1. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. God hides out in the secret place. He's a hidden person. And yet we have access because of what Christ did on the cross, because of the tabernacle of David, because of the removal of the Holy of Holies, which just proved that we had sin. We no longer have sin. So we have access. But here's the deal. I'm going to try to land this as quickly as I can. Many of us use prayer, the secret place, quiet time, whatever you want to call it, as a drive-through window to get what we want when we want it. It's a vacation spot that we go to and that we work for. And that if we do enough good things, then we can go to God and we can tell him all the great things we did. But this is what Chris talked about last week. If we mess up, we hide for two or three weeks, try to figure it out on our own. And then we come and tell God how we figured it out. That's like having a broken leg and avoiding the doctor. It's not going to work real well. And so God is, he dwells in the, secret, in, this, in the secret place. And David understood that for me to have relationship with him, for me to worship him, I need to know what it means to get to the secret place. Now, here's the deal. Secret place is an Old Testament term. It's used in the New Testament as well. But there's a lot of people out there who discredit a worship movement because there's no description of what worship really looks like and doesn't look like in the New Testament. It's just an all Old Testament stuff. And now that we don't have Moses' tabernacle, we don't have David's tabernacle, God tabernacles within me, which I'm going to get to. We think that we don't have to focus on worship. Jesus knocks it out of the park in John 4 when he said God is looking for worshipers who worship him in spirit and in truth. So, yeah, does it have to look like this? No. But it doesn't have to not look like this. If my heart's messed up, it doesn't matter what I look like. It doesn't matter the right things that I do. That's where religion gets in the way because we think we have to do it a certain way in order to please God. God's like, dude, I just want your heart. Give me the heart. You got a veil? Let me have your heart. Oh, you got another one? Let me have it. It's mine. I want you. My son tries to hide in his bed sometimes and puts the blankets over him. I'm like, ha, ha, and I rip the thing off. He thinks that's the best in the world. He's like, do it again. But we, we try to play like hide and seek with God in the bad things, but we love running to him when we can prove how good we are. I do think that the American education system has ruined us because it's all performance-based. But guess what? You can still perform well 
without it being a performance of your identity. There's a lot of us, our marriages, our parenting, our jobs, our relationships, just living. We have to perform. Social media, I wasn't going to go there. I got to now. Social media has robbed us of the secret. Because we tell people immediately what's going on. And now, guess what? I have nothing to talk to you about. Hey, did you see my feed the other day? Yeah. Cool. I, I, I saw your feed too. Great. What do we talk about now? It's ruined us. We have, we have no secret in our life because everything has to be polished. Everything has to be performed. Everything has to be captured. If I was to look at any of your phones, if you're a big social media person, I bet I could go in and find the 50 versions that you didn't post before you actually posted something. That's the secret stuff. <laughs> That's the stuff we don't want anybody else to see. God wants to see it. Because we have lost access or we think we've lost access and because we don't actually go to God to dwell with him, we check in with him from time to time, we go through the drive-through, we get what we want, we move on. But God actually wants us to dwell with him. All of us, whatever house you're living in right now, it was a building for a while. But none of us can explain when that building, that room, that apartment, that house becomes a home. But all of us have homes. What they look like are very different. But all of us would say, this is my home, not this is my apartment. Some of us say that for a little while. And then at some point it becomes a home because of the shared experiences, because of the smells, because of the things that you've lived in that place, the people you've had over, the people you've cried with, the people you've laughed with, it becomes a home. For a lot of us, the secret place is this place that we, we look at it and we just go, I just don't know if I belong there. You don't belong there because you haven't sat there long enough. And a lot of us, when we do sit there, we take a picture of our Bible. The Lord was wrecking me this morning. And I have revelation upon revelation of how much he loves me. But I'm no longer sitting with him, enjoying the love. I love the fact that we capture our services. If there's one thing that I try not to say, but I'm going to say it, is that if you're in worship and you're pulling one of these, trying to capture it for yourself to prove to other people that you're in worship, you're not in worship. You're still performing for other people to give you more likes so that after the service is done, you can feel some version of acceptance in the world. If you're in worship, be in worship. And I, I can, this isn't Caleb's rule that I'm going to come around and start smacking people. But if the Lord tells me to. No, I'm just kidding. If you're in worship, be in worship. If you're in front of your spouse, be with your spouse. If you're at dinner, I, we, we've had seasons where we did this really well and seasons where we didn't do this really well, where we've been on our phones when we've been together. And then there's seasons where we both, at the beginning of dinner, we put our phone down. We need to reinstitute this again. We both put our phones down. The first person to touch has to pay. We're, 
We're both paying. <laughs> but it's, it's the point that make this about me. Make this about us. Sit with me. I get it. If you get a verse in the morning when you're spending time with God, awesome. The next person you see, talk to them about it. But don't leave God to go tell the world. Let it actually minister to you in a deep way. Let it actually impact you longer than, oh, this would be great for social. I got to get on TikTok. I've got thousands of followers. They all need to hear this. That's probably true. But when your time is done, and you've hugged your father and he has hugged you and you've kissed him and he's kissed you and you're walking into the world filled with who you are and who he is, then you have not my permission, but somebody's permission to enter in and start doing the things that you do. There's so much that I would always love to post online and then I go, ooh, no, 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 no. I'm not doing this for you guys. This is me and him. I gotta, st I gotta stay in this space. I gotta stay with him. I gotta stay plugged in. So the secret place needs to become a home that we live from. Jesus had the mountaintop experiences. He gets transfigured, he goes away and he's praying, all kinds of amazing things happen before, after, and during those times. And yet, let's go to Luke 9, verse 18. This is another Johnny Bucknerism from down in Mississippi. And it happened that while he was praying alone, Jesus praying alone, the disciples were with him and he questioned them saying, who do, you, who do the people say that I am? Whole conversation happens, all kinds of stuff that we all quote and say. I want you to read it again. And it happened that while he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. While he was praying alone, the disciples were with him. Jesus was in the secret place while he's with them. There's so many people, and I, I love charismatic places. I love deep spirit-filled stuff. I love deep uh, theological conversations. I love all of it. But so many people are like, um, I haven't had time with Jesus yet today, so you need to back up. So now you have to check the box before you can be kind to people? I understand, like, I need coffee. I'm, like, addicted to energy drinks now because... That's, a, that's my own problem to bear right now. Thank you. Um, I get it. We're tired. But if we have access, if we are now the tabernacle of God, if God dwells within me, if this is the new tent, the tent flaps and my bones are the new tent pegs and I am here and God lives within me, I don't need coffee to be nice to you. I need to remember whose I am and who I am. I get it. We're tired. I get it. I have really bad days. I get angry. I can get loud. I can get frustrated. I've scared my children because I got frustrated at something. And then I have to apologize and I have to sit with them. And when they finally tell me, yeah, that was scary, I'm like, I'm so sorry. But I don't, ha I, I don't have to prove to my kids how perfect I am. I need to prove how accessible I am. That's what Jesus did. He proved how accessible he and the Father are, he and the Holy Spirit. So we all have Christ dwelling within us. If you believe in Jesus, 
He's your Lord and Savior. He lives within you. You don't have to go somewhere. I love prayer rooms. I love conferences. I love retreats. We're hosting a retreat in a couple weeks. They are wonderful tools to reveal to you that you've always had access. But they are not the access point. You are. So we have to get to the place where all of a sudden, a lot of us, and this is, this is probably the issue for a lot of us, I don't love me, he can't love me, you're not gonna love me. And now I'm so focused on what I can't and what I don't and what I won't have that that's what I begin to treat people out of. Because I deserve better, we do deserve better. But we don't only deserve better, we are better, we have better we're plugged into better. I love, when Dupre and I were talking, he said the Old Testament, we had to enter into his gates. New Testament, he enters into ours. So why do we pray? And why do we sing songs like Shekinah Glory Come? Because I want God. Not an Old Testament version, I want him today. Why do, we ask, why do we say, like, open up the door and let the king of glory come on in? Yes, he is in, but if I'm living in a reality that is separate from him, invite him in. But I love, I forget who it was, I think it was Keith this morning in our pre-service prayer. Holy Spirit, we recognize that you are here. Sometimes it's not necessarily that he's not, it's the fact that we're not. Yeah. So just right where you are, you are a tabernacle unto the Lord. There is something special about this building on the hill. But the best part about this building on the hill is that it is filled with tabernacles that are filled with the glory of God. Begin to realize the access you have. Begin to realize the fact that God's already dwelling with you. Will you dwell with him? Again, don't go back and think, okay, I've got to meet with God and then I can get on social. Meet with God and then I can get on TikTok. Meet with God and then I can get on. No, like, that's not it. A lot more of us need God with us while we're on Facebook than before or after. Let the Holy Spirit lead you. Do I need to comment on this? Do I need to say what I want to say? Jesus, could you help me say it a little bit better? oh, I don't need to say anything because that would make it worse. It's hard. People are doing things wrong at church. They're not preaching exegetically. They're not preaching charismatically. They're not singing the right song. They sing that song for 30 minutes. All of a sudden, we step out of tabernacling with God and we tabernacle with our version of what would be right. But what is God saying? I get it. I'm very, very critical. Way too critical. And yet, when I begin to get critical in worship, I'm no longer in worship. If I'm to be the light of the world, but all I'm looking at is the darkness and I stop becoming the light, if I'm supposed to be salty for the world, but I'm just being salty towards you, We're so obsessed with what's right because we're trying to impress God. He's already impressed. 
What more do you have to do to get more of him? He's already in you. He's already around you. He purchased you. You can't get rid of him. So Jesus, right now, there are some hidden veils in our lives where we think it is biblical, we think it is spiritual to have to perform for you rather than living from you. Would you very gently, very strategically, and very surgically rip that veil right now over this church, over these people, over this region, It's not our job to make sure that people get you. We get to minister, but you're the one who finalizes all of it. You're the one who moves me. You're the one who moves them. So instead of running around, hoping I'm doing the right thing, I'm gonna ask you, God, what's the right thing? And Jesus, when we do that, speak to us the way that we need to hear it. Minister to our hearts what we need to say. And if we think something that doesn't go with your heart, God, we give you permission today to discipline us with the rod, just to check if there's an area in us that is hurt, broken, or weak. And we give you permission to heal us, to maybe put us in the pen for a few weeks, to pour your oil over us, to carry us on your shoulders, to use the crook to save us from a pit that we fell in. And at times when we fall into a sinkhole and you have to jump in with your whole body to get us out, Jesus, we receive that as well. Because some of us are in pits this morning. We don't know how to get out. Jesus, you've already seen it. You've been trying to, we've been fighting it. God, we receive you helping us get out of our own pit this morning. Psalm 27, or Psalm 22, that says he did not hide his face from me when I cried. It's the same word that's for the, the secret place, the hidden place. This week I pray and I ask that you would go after what it means to create a secret place in your life with God. If you need a closet, make a closet. But start taking them with you on your drive to work. Start taking them with you into work, into your marriage, into your marriage bed, into your family, into your dinner table tabernacle with God. He's entered into your gates. Let's let him dwell in our homes and let's actually become at home with him. Sound good? Prayer team can come up. If anybody needs prayer, if you just need to come and sit up here for a little bit, if you need to sit in your chair, this will be open. If you need to get your kids, if you need to sit out and sip coffee, if you need to talk to somebody, let's go for that. But God dwells in you and you dwell in him. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. We hope you've been blessed by this message. If you'd like to partner with us, you have the opportunity to give online at providencecommunity.org.